It's Friday, and today is a great, great show. Uh, we start with our ode to Dr. Seuss about uh, Asians in cages, which I think was the problem, right? That was the problem with, I, I can't believe I saw it on Mulberry Street. Right. Uh, they had uh, drawn pictures of Asians in cages, and we decided that for the left and for the progressive left in particular, it was probably really important to uh, remind people who actually did put Asians in cages? Uh, we start the podcast with that. Goes from there. Bill O'Reilly is on. He is he's fantastic this week. Uh, we have a, a local news anchor that couldn't take the bias anymore and has decided to leave uh, television news. She was the number number one anchor in in Phoenix for. 20 years we talked to her about that also stand up uh in the park in new york city it's um the uh, partner the business partner of james ultrature that is uh trying to get comedy brought back to new york crazy idea he sued he sued the state cuomo bent but it wasn't a real victory it's open now 30 percent. but at least they're open he's a big 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 liberal uh and we had a great conversation that you don't want to miss all on today's podcast and don't forget andrew cuomo is awful.com uh also don't forget to uh subscribe to the podcast of course and rate and review it take a couple seconds do things for us because we do so much for you right? Right? so much is it too much I mean, to it's ask just... you to do something <laughs> and you know let me just give you one more thing to do Stu does america that podcast available as well to subscribe to and rate and review and there will be a quiz after it so oh really yes i didn't even prepare yeah Fun we'll have in the gulag together. Well, <laughs> welcome to the program, Mr. Brad Meltzer, uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world. He loves history almost as much as anyone I know. Um, Brad, how are you, sir? I'm good, my friend. How you been? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, every time you have a new book out or whatever, you, you know, somebody in your office calls and could could Brad get the, yes, Brad can get on. You're you're one of my favorite guests because you always bring something interesting uh, to talk about. And this week, you don't have to bring anything to the table with the banning of Dr. Seuss and you, a guy who's writing children's children's books. What's your uh, what's your take on the Dr. Seuss ban? Yeah, you know, I, I am someone who grew up on Dr. Seuss. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm a writer. I, I think How much I'm a therapy have it. you had? Right. <laughs> Don't we all need it? Um, but the, you know me too well. So. But, you know, and listen, I think I'm a writer today because of books like Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, when I did Heroes for My Son, I put him as one of the heroes in the book for helping millions of kids Whoa. find the love of reading, right? I mean, that is what Dr. Seuss, of course, stands for for so many. And, you know, what is so interesting is, and listen, you got to look at the history, right? You know as well as I know um, what he did when he was younger versus what he did in the war versus what he did later. And all those things. Let's pretend, let's pretend I don't know. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So uh, when he's a younger kid, he actually, like any kid, you know, writes some things that aren't the best, right? They just aren't, right? And even though he does these amazing things, 
his late at work, his early work also has some drawings. They, if you look at them, they didn't age well. I think even Dr. Seuss would admit they didn't age well. Those two things can be true at the same time. And I think what is such a, you know, is so sad today is that we reduce the culture and the culture has come to, and I can say this, you know, for our kids' books, as Dr. Seuss, who was a hero in one of them, right? Every hero that I've done, Glenn, from Amelia Earhart, we did I Am Abraham Lincoln, I Am Martin Luther King Jr., I Am Rosa Parks, um, to the new ones, I Am Walt Disney, Jim Henson, someone has written to me and said, that person's not a hero, you shouldn't do them. And that is what is so sad to me, because I, I tell my kids, if you're looking for perfection, the only thing that's perfect is God. That's it. All of the rest of us are flawed. And, the, and we have to stop seeing people as all good or all bad, because none of us are all good. We're, you know, we're good, we're bad, we're complicated, we're brave, we're cowards, we're amazing, we're horrible. We're wonderful. Some and especially of us when, week. especially when it's the trajectory you know, when the trajectory of a man's life is he started out great and he turned into Hitler, not a good tra- trajectory. But if you are, you know, if you are a monster at the beginning because of your beliefs or whatever else, and then you grew and you learned and you were like, oh, my gosh, I reject the things that I thought I I'm not the same man. That's a hero story. Well, and listen, the star belly speeches, according to many, are him making uh, amends for the early things he did. That's supposed to be an attack against what Hitler's doing, right? That is, he's he's basically learned from what he did early and said, you know what? I'm a. This is the wrong thing. We got to well, stand up. Isn't Yertle the, right the Turtle the, the same thing? Yertle the Turtle is the same thing. And and the one thing that I do think is important, though, and it is this, is it's he wasn't banned by Twitter. He wasn't canceled like that. It was his own family, his own estate that said, you know what? These five, these couple, we're going to take away. You get the rest. And the truth is, you know, listen, uh, the drawings didn't age well. They just don't. I mean, the same way that Disneyland and Disney World, when you go now, when you go to the Song of the South, you look at some of them, you're like, uh, this might have been good in the 50s and 60s, but today it doesn't look as good. And, and, I, and I, I think the, I wish that as a culture we could take a breath and rather, you know, I go back to Abraham Lincoln's inaugural address. It's like, we we need to be friends and not enemies. And I and mm-hmm. I, I it's so sad to me and heartbreaking that the culture has turned into everyone is the best, everyone's the worst. Because that kind of, those kinds of absolutes, you know, maybe it's because I'm a Star Wars fan, but absolutes, you know, in the Jedi Order, right? Like they they just never do anyone any good. Thank, okay, thank you for that. Uh, you're welcome. So um, speaking of things that don't age well, you just uh, wrote a book. I am uh, Frida Kahlo. Uh, and most yeah. people know her by the eyebrows that didn't age well. Uh, That's how I, let me tell you, we've never been closer. I truly, <laughs> I had all these people writing to me, all these kids around the country. They're like, I want I Am Frida Kahlo. Please do I Am Frida Kahlo. And I'm like, all I know about her is she's got the eyebrows and that Selma Hyde played her in the movie. And I am keep going, why do all these kids want her? She's just an artist. What's the big deal? Mm. And you know, I, I wrote this kids book series we have a mutual love of history. It's always been, you know, it's one of the great things of our friendship. Um, but to give the other part of our friendship is I wanted to give my kids better heroes to look up to, heroes of character, heroes of compassion, heroes of kindness. Okay, so and tell me like, about her, the, because I know, I also know she was married to Diego Rivera, which 
uh, he was a staunch anti-capitalist. He was uh, uh, an American oh, hater. Pardon me? And yeah, on social, right, a socialist. A so, I mean, an was, absolute he, socialist, yeah. Um, and so tell me about her that's going to make me like her. Yeah, so here's, here, and again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost the reverse, perfect with the Dr. Seuss, right? Because you can't, you know, to show the other side, right? Right. The, here's her story. She's a little girl. She gets polio. One leg is shorter than the other, and she can't really walk. She hobbles. Every kid makes fun of her calling her peg leg. Wow. And they say, they make fun of how she dresses. They make fun of because she, you know, she wears long skirts to cover up her legs. Hmm. She gets, as a, as a young girl, in a horrible bus accident. And they say she's never going to walk again, cracks her back. And they're like, she puts, she's putting a full body cast. And lying in bed, unable to move, she says, bring me some paintbrushes. She can't even sit up. They build a special easel for her. And they put a mirror over her bed above her so she can look up and see the thing that she can actually draw because she can't move is herself. And she starts doing self-portraits. But what happens is, and what's amazing is that her whole life, Frida Kahlo has made fun of for how she looks, for the unibrow. She's made fun of where she's from. She's made fun of how ugly she is. And she is never anything but unapologetically herself. And her whole life she goes. And I have to tell you, one of the, one of the things that I'm proudest of in this book is the last page of the book. We actually put a, a mirror, a plastic mirror on the last page. And it says there, what do you see here? And little Frida Kahlo in our children's book holds up the mirror and it says, I see a work of art. And when your kid looks in that mirror, in this selfie culture that we live in, you can see that she says, you know, everyone's it, life is messy and life isn't easy and life is hard, but you got to get back up again and you got to accept yourself for who you are. And if you do that, as it says in the book, I know the most beautiful thing in the world is you. We got to stop teaching our kids to take selfies and teach them a little self-love. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And that's what I love about Frida Kahlo is that that I want my daughter to have that lesson. Are I you want my this, son to the, have that lesson? That's a really good story, and I hate you for it, but uh, so it's a really good story. <laughs> listen, you know me. There, no, 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 no. I know. In the book, we don't do her social. You know, we don't do where her, her politics. Because as you said, her politics evolve and go up and go down like anyone else's. Yeah. Um, to me, none of that's important. The question is, as you said, the hero's journey and her hero journey is just one of absolute. I mean, how hard is it to find, especially for, oh. for young girls today? And it's everyone's the, told to be beautiful, be perfect, be everything on Instagram is disgusting to me. This is Teach your the, kids to just love themselves. This is proof that uh, we don't ban books and we don't judge people on one thing. I mean, I think it's great that we hear this about her. And if you're curious about her, then you, you eventually, as you grow up, you start to look into what she believes and who she married and what he did and everything else. And you make your own decision, but we don't ban people and we don't, uh, we don't say, Oh, Dr. Seuss did this a long time ago. And we got to get rid of that. Even if you're a family, um, all right. So, Brad, you have one more book out. Do you not You're like this one? OK, I do. You've like got about th three minutes tops. I'm going to do it quick. So I you know me a long time. I've yep. never dreamed a book. I dreamt an entire book. I dreamt the, pre the, the premise of this book. It's called A New Day. And I woke up and I said, I have an idea that Sunday quits just like that. And all the other days have to have tryouts for a new day. 
And they quickly have training. You know, they say, let's have fun day. Everyone will have fun. And like, no, nope, let's have a run day. Everyone runs fast like the Flash. Nope. Bun day where everyone wears buns like Princess Leia. And they're like, oh, I thought you were going to do the other buns. They're like, no, let's not do that. And then a little girl comes to sign. And it gets crazy and crazy. They want, the dogs want dogs day. The cats want cat day. But at the end of the book, a little girl comes in with a potted plant to Sunday. And Sunday says, what's this? You want tree day? You want to grow rutabaga day? What do you want? And she says, no, I just want to say thank you, Sunday for all the things you give us. And I want you to have a nice day. And Sunday is undone. And in that moment, Sunday realizes, the, of course, the moral of our children's book, which is that with a little kindness in it, every day can be a new day. And my God, where we are as a culture right now, our kids are so anxious. We as adults are so anxious. We need to arm our kids with the lessons of that when you say thank you and you show kindness instead of venom in this world, you can change everyone's day and have a new day. So that's the that's the new children's book. You're a better man than I am, Brad. I, I so respect you and uh, I love your constant optimism uh, and your ability to tell the truth and have your message heard by uh, all Americans without ever compromising who you are. Uh, and congratulations on that. And thank you for being my friend. Listen, thanks for being my friend, whatever the genre, but it's not just optimism. This is how I fight back, right? I fight back by helping people teach character to their kids and help them, you know, realize this is a venomous moment we're living in. It's a terrible moment in American history when we're all fighting. And the only, you you have a choice, right? And my choice is, is try and put a little more kindness in the world. Well, you know, again, I go back to Abraham Lincoln, one of mine and your great heroes. Um, and, And I think that a new day for me it's just my attempt to kind of counter what we're seeing in the culture. So our kids get a little something better. I am free to call or give them a little something better. And the other book is called A New Day. Brad Meltzer, the author and a friend of the program. Thank you so much, Brad. Appreciate it. Always love talking to you. Thanks, my friend. God bless. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So earlier this week, I saw a uh, viral video from a former Arizona news anchor named Carrie Lake. Here's what she said. Sadly, journalism has changed a lot since I first stepped into a newsroom. And I'll be honest, I don't like the direction it's going. The media needs more balance in coverage and a wider range of viewpoints represented in every newsroom at every level and in each position. In the past few years, I haven't felt proud to be a member of the media. I'm sure there are other journalists out there who feel the same way. I found myself reading news copy that I didn't believe was fully truthful or only told part of the story. And I began to feel that I was contributing to the fear and division in this country by continuing on in this profession. It's been a serious struggle for me and I no longer want to do this job anymore. So I've decided the time is right to do something else, and I'm leaving Fox 10. There will probably be some hit pieces written about me. Not everyone is dedicated to telling the truth. Okay. Thankfully. So this is Carrie Lake. We're going to we have her on the phone now. And so we're going to get the story from her uh, firsthand. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Hi, Glenn. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. I, I just can't believe that I'm talking to you about this video that I put out. I just wanted to send a message to the viewers. Yeah. Well, let them know where I was going. I think this went viral because I I think 
people are feeling kind of what you're feeling. They don't trust uh, news. And quite honestly, local news has been more trustworthy in the last few years than it has been the national news. And uh, and we need good journalists now more than ever. And I, I, I saw this and I can relate to your pain. Uh, and and wanted to talk to you about it. And I, I don't want to yeah. bash the station or anybody else. I just want to talk no. generally what is happening. What is happening? Wow. Well, I mean, I think we have very biased news. I think we have a, a lot of one viewpoint represented in newsrooms around the country, whether it be national or local, and very little of another viewpoint. And I, and I, I guess you could say, you know, right versus left. But I'm even talking... I don't know how to say it. When I first got into a newsroom, I remember it just seemed like there were a lot of different age groups. You know, it's become a very young profession. It's a hard job to run around and be a reporter. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we're kind of missing different perspectives. Even when it comes to age, we're losing a lot of the older people in in journalism. I mean, think about, I don't know how old you are, Glenn. You're a young guy. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 50s as well. Okay, I, I feel like I have a little more wisdom than I, maybe I did even in my 30s yes. or 20s. Yes. And I think it's great to have those viewpoints, people who maybe are grandparents or people who grew up in, um, you know, small towns and have rural experience. It's all becoming kind of the same, the same viewpoints. Um, and I just decided that I couldn't fix it one person but I also didn't want to be part of it. And I didn't feel proud about what I was doing. And I'm one of those people that I like to, I like to work and I like to feel good about it. And I, I just hadn't been feeling good about it for a long time. So I, 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 it, let it, me say this, Carrie, and, and, uh, and ask okay. your opinion on it. I'm not sure that it is, um, you know, when you were talking about age uh, and wisdom and experience, I know I want to surround myself with young people, not to the expense of others. But because right. they have a different viewpoint and they see the world uh, for what in, in with fresh eyes and what it can be. Um, but I also want to work with people who understand and respect the world that was and the world that we have lived through and the experience we have. If we work together, we create something amazing. But I don't think that exists anymore. The, the, you're just dismissed. Yeah, or not even dismissed. You don't even feel you can put your ideas out there to be dismissed. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've had so many people reach out to me. And you're right, Glenn. I, I love the young reporters I've worked with. You know, I, I absolutely love the perspective they bring. I just I was thinking when I got into my first newsroom how I was kind of the young reporter and I looked up to so many of these veteran reporters who'd been there forever. Right. And a lot of them have gotten out of the business. So I'm not trying to bash the young people. I adore them. They, we have some of the hardest working, great young people in town, and I've been lucky to work with them. Um, but, yeah, yeah you, you don't even feel comfortable putting out an idea because your people are afraid to talk right now. I just was at an appointment the other day. And it, it was somebody, it's somebody I've, I've gone to uh, for a while, and I thought he was um, liberal. I didn't know what his you know, perspective was. We didn't really talk about the news because it's kind of dangerous. Yeah, and so when he crazy. found out that I left my job, only then did he reveal, oh, my gosh, I'm actually conservative, and I'm scared to death. I, I see clients all day. I'm so afraid to even speak that I might offend somebody. 
And I thought, wow, this is not just in journalism. This is in, this is everywhere. In every industry, people are afraid. And I'm hearing this from the response I've gotten from the video, which has been thousands upon thousands of emails and comments, people telling me they work in, you name the industry, they're feeling this as well. I, I can't tell you, we did a deal on the Great Reset and what the banks and the accounting firms are now going through uh, on this ESG reporting, environmental, social justice and governance uh, score, which is basically mm-hmm. Chinese uh, social score, their social credit score. It's, it's really, truly terrifying. And Very. I am getting so many emails and so many calls from people who are uh, CPAs or work in the banking industry that are all saying the same thing. This is coming and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do because... I'm not for this, but I, I, I'm, I'm out. You don't stand against this. Yeah, it, it's, it's frightening. And so what do we do? You know, that's the question. How do we come together? I think the majority of people feel like what you just described. They're, they're afraid of, of what's coming. They want to speak out, but they don't know how to do it. You know, do you lose a job? Do you, you have to put food on the table, right? Somehow. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I, and, and I had to come to grips with that because I was walking away from an, a nice paycheck. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I've worked in the business for a long time. And the courageous part wasn't putting the video out. The courageous part was coming to grips with, okay, I'm leaving. I have to leave this all behind. Yeah. When you have 20 years at right. 20 years at number one at a local station, that's a big thing to walk away from. And also, I bet you also thought, but I'm also losing my voice. I'm losing the ability, you know, to to have this kind of impact. Maybe I can make a difference. Did you go through that as well? I did. I, I, I for a while um, I felt like, well, it's better to be in the media, even though I'm not totally proud of it. At least trying to, you know, I always say it's not my sandbox. I'm just playing in it. And every once in a while I try to throw a handful of sand out. Right. Um, But, you know, I I hate to have voices leave the media that we need and maybe more common sense voices. But also when you just feel like you can't make a difference, um, then you have to move on. That's where I kind of came to. I thought, well, I just don't feel like I can. It's not worth putting my voice on things I don't, I personally don't believe in. Now, other people, Glenn, they might jump into these roles in, in newsrooms around the country and feel fine reading the stuff that I had a hard time reading and, and feeling good about. Did the election play a role in this? I think two things happened, COVID and the election. But really, it happened back with, you know, with the election in 2016. I, I started seeing about how people were covering Donald Trump. And um, I thought, why are they so... Why do they hate this man so much? Can't we just be fair in how we cover him? Didn't seem that way. And it only grew worse after 2016. Um, I wasn't thrilled with uh, how the election was handled by the media at all. And and I remember on um, election night, actually, when um, it was called, Arizona was called, I remember thinking, whoa, we still have people voting. How can, and I, and I even spoke out and, and said a few times election night, wait a minute, I don't think Arizona should have been called because we still have hundreds of thousands, maybe a million votes to count. I remember saying that several times on election night. And um, yeah, that kind of bothered me. Obviously, uh, when the when the votes were counted, it didn't turn out and that it turned out that Joe Biden 
uh, took the state. But I didn't feel that calling it that early was the right thing to do. And I voiced that opinion on the air. So I want to ask you about COVID also. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say COVID also really, I think, was where it hit me. I felt that what I was reading was was kind of fear mongering. This is my opinion. And we were able to put out, the media was able to put out um, sound bites and all kinds of information from certain doctors, but not other doctors. Correct. You know, even if they were doctors who weren't treating COVID patients. And then we have doctors who are treating COVID patients and we can't talk about that. We can't talk about what's working. It was, it almost felt like there was no desire to put out stories that would make people feel better, alleviate some of their fear, or give them options for treatment or things that might help. It felt very much like fear-mongering. I don't want to be a part of that because I work, I live in a neighborhood with elderly people who are afraid to come out of their homes, and I, I just, I didn't feel good about it. So when we get into this kind of uh, fear to speak, um, where are we headed? I mean, there's a story in the New York Times today about how the Germans have just uh, banned the uh, speech uh, and put on a watch list the one of their political parties. It's a right wing. Uh, they say extremist. I know nothing about this party. It, I, it might be a bunch of Nazis. I don't know. Um, but that's the way that's the way they're treating them and banning their their speech uh, and I, I and putting them on a watch list. And you read the New York Times story today and it is it's it's almost giddy about the idea that you could put a political party on a, a terror watch list. It, it, it's a little frightening that it seems as though we're going in that direction. Well, I mean, we may be. I mean, people are being banned from uh, Twitter and, and Facebook, and we've seen posts banned. I don't know anything about um, the story that you just talked about. Maybe this is a modern yeah. Nazi group. Who knows? Right. But, I, d- I don't know either. Yeah. I, I'm actually, you bring up a point, though. I'm, the censorship is at, a, is at a, a level I never expected to see in this country. And I'm really stunned when, when I post something or I talk about censorship on social media to see other journalists pop into my feed and make comments supporting censorship. As a journalist, I, I just don't know how you are okay with that. How do you reason with yourself and say, yeah, censorship is okay? I, I just was, I guess I was I don't like, know. brought up differently. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, in Germany, when they banned Mein Kampf, I kind of, you know, I get it. They they were Nazis, and there were a lot of Nazis that didn't go to jail in uh, Germany and didn't pay mm-hmm. for things, and you wanted to stop that ideology. But we always sold Mein Kampf here in America. I've read it. It is crazy. It is the rantings of a madman. And to me, it, it, it makes me question, how did people dismiss this? They knew what he was going to do. How did they dismiss it? Uh, and I fear we're just repeating a lot of these things. I can still get Mein Kampf at Amazon. I can still get it at eBay. But I can't get six Dr. Seuss books from either of those places today. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure the Dr. Seuss thing out. I, 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 I don't get the problem with it, but, um, you know, I I think when you see Dr. Seuss being banned, 
it's really starting to wake people up. And we're, we're led to believe that we have to re- remain quiet. Our opinions are wrong. Um, you know, we've, we've been called racist, Nazis, you name it. And I think that we might be in the majority and we're just being told to be quiet and don't speak up. Even if you think it's common sense, don't speak up or you're in trouble. I think there's a, a shift happening, actually, based on what I've been reading from the comments I've gotten, where people are saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm gonna, the next time this happens at work, I'm going to say something. I have to. So I, I don't know. I, are you sensing it? And you talk to people all the time, Glenn. I feel like there might be a tiny shift happening where people are fed up enough with being told their um, you know, traditional values are wrong, their ideas are wrong, their beliefs are wrong, and they're ready to stand up. Well, I will tell you, this is almost like the last call at a bar. Uh, if, <laughs> if you don't stand up now, if you, if you are, remain silent, uh, it's th- this is the last probably easy time for you to do it. And I know doing it now seems like a lot. If we would have spoken out earlier, uh, maybe things would have been different. Uh, but it's not going to get easier from here. And if people don't stand up in those meetings, in those companies and say, I'm not yeah. doing it, you can, you're not teaching me. I'm hoping that, you know, if we had 20 percent of the teachers stand up and say, we got to go back to school. This is ridiculous. 20% of the teachers, it would make all the difference in the world, but nobody's Absolutely. doing it. Well, people are afraid of being ostracized. The cancel culture, you know, it, you want to fit in. You want people to like you. That's yeah. natural. But being ostracized won't kill you. And it might save the country. It, it will set <laughs> the other you thing free. Is I've, yeah. And I've been canceled several times because people don't like what I tweet. I don't think I, I tweet anything wrong. That's right. bad. It might not be what other people, um, you know, I'm, I try to put stories out there and get people to react to them and say, Hey, what do you think about this? The president did this today, or this happened. What are your thoughts? And, and because I'm not actively, wasn't actively bashing the president or pushing, you know, COVID fear, the media, some people in the media would attack me and write stories yeah. about me in the newspaper. But the first time I was canceled, it was, I mean, it was really painful. I was, distraught yeah it did feel like my world was ending mm-hmm. but the good news is you get over it and the second time you're canceled it's easier the third time you just finally start to almost laugh at it you go yeah. okay here you go again yeah i'm being and canceled it, again and it, you it, you get to a point to where you can almost wear it as a badge of honor because you start to see who's canceling you and you're like okay well i'm glad they're canceling me because <laughs> i'm not with them um carrie we we True. hope that you are going to continue your reporting uh in whatever way when you decide how you're going to do it uh, know that you have an ally in me and I'll, I'll help you any way I can. Thank you so much. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate God, it. You bet. God bless. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So stand up. New York has sued governor Cuomo to lift COVID-19, the shutdown order. And I guess a Kind of one a little bit because he has lifted a bit of the uh, shutdown order. It's killing New York City. Uh, uh, Donnie Zoldan is going to be joining me here in a second. And I just want to read this tweet that he tweeted yesterday. I'll be on Glenn Beck tomorrow morning, 1130, uh, talking uh, New York City politics, business shutdowns and mandates. Hopefully some comedy too. wait until he finds out I'm an Upper West Side liberal. 
I'm trying to get my arms around that. Uh, Donnie, you're you live in New York. You you uh, co-own a comedy club. You live in the Upper West Side and you're liberal. Hey, Glenn. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I, I, uh, I'm glad that you're on. You co-own the Comedy Club, if I'm not mistaken, with James Altucher, right? That is correct. And Gabe Waldman, my best friend since high school. Yeah. Um, the uh, New York, as James and I have talked about, is dying. It, it, uh, it is the saddest thing I've, I've ever seen. I mean, the greatest it's city coming, in the I world. Say, I don't want to say dying. We're coming back where it's it's being revised right now. We're really coming back. Ask me a month ago even, I would have said dying, but I really feel like we're on the upswing right now. And by the way, the Upper West Side liberal thing, I, I challenge you to take a walk with me on Broadway on the Upper West Side and get a bagel at Zabar's. <laughs> I should be challenging you. To do that. <laughs> I've done that many times. I don't think you know what it's like to walk down the street as me. So uh, you would be surprised. Uh, about two years ago, I was walking down Broadway with Ann Coulter and someone yelled out, we love you, Ann. So we should do it. <laughs> anytime, brother, anytime. Listen, I saw you have stand up, uh, stand up New York in the park. And you guys started doing, uh, you know, social distancing stand up, uh, you know, under the trees in, in New York City. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, it was actually phenomenal. March, April, May. Uh, really, I was in the bar, in the club by myself, like everyone in New York City was really just hunkering down and being in their apartments. So there was really nothing going on March, April, May in Manhattan. But come June, when the weather was nice, I started city biking to Central Park and I bought a lawn chair and I would work on my laptop. And I just saw hundreds of people on the lawn in Sheep Meadow in Central Park just enjoying themselves and playing Frisbee and lying on the grass. And I text my booker, John, and I'm like, dude, we should do a comedy show here. Like, it feels alive here in the park. If you go to Broadway, it's a disaster. Mm. But you know, storefronts closed and homeless people around, and it was actually, like, dangerous in the streets. But the park, we didn't get that sense. And we we did a comedy show, and 50 people showed up, and we had six comics, and we paid them. And it was an amazing experience. Comics walked over to me, and they said they haven't been outside in months and they obviously haven't performed and it, it was such like a relief and then people that came out to watch it, it felt so good to be outdoors in the sun watching live entertainment the city really fell alive so after that show i'm like we gotta scale this up let's do let's do like 50 to 40 to 50 shows a week let's do shows in parks across manhattan brooklyn queens everyone thought i was crazy but we did that we were doing 40 to 50 shows a week during the pandemic in the summer and fall. And I've owned the club for 12 years. It was, it's been really the best experience since I've, I've owned the club. So what is the state of business in New York? I mean, you were just talking about Broadway. I don't know how those people survive. You still have to pay for the theater rent. I mean, somebody's paying for all of that. There's a lot of overhead. 
all of these actors and actresses and stagehands, they haven't worked in a year. How is this going to survive? I mean, it's, it's financially, it's been difficult. Uh, you know, before I was talking about just non-financials, you know, like we, you know, we were willing to invest some money and put on these park shows and we made a lot of people happy and made comics happy, but yeah, the numbers don't really add up right now. Uh, we, we've been shuttered a year, a year we were closed down. It's crazy. Even while, crazy. Even while other industries around us have opened, uh, you can go bowling and you look like a bowler, by the way. <laughs> no, you know the I did. I did. Uh, I did more bowling in New York City than I've done in my life. <laughs> Look like a bowler. <laughs> Too much physical Martin activity. Permission to make fun of you. <laughs> yeah, no, there's fine to make fun of me, but uh, don't make fun of bowlers, man. They they carry big, <laughs> really big suitcases. Hmm. Um, to walk down Broadway. Yeah. Uh, no, um, it, it, it it's been really frustrating. A year. I can't believe it's been a year. We were closed down, and I got really frustrated over the past few weeks when Cuomo announced that weddings are allowed and restaurants can increase their capacity and you can go bowling and play pool and do all of these things, but comedy clubs can operate and music venues can operate. And I, I just, I just got really active on social media, like open the clubs, you know, screaming and yelling. And we decided Monday to file a lawsuit, uh, uh, you know, we, we were fighting for the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment, um, the First Amendment, you know, freedom, freedom of right. expression, which I didn't know, like last week. <laughs> and um, 14, which is equal protection under the law. Right. You know, we should be able to operate on, under the same guidelines as other, other businesses. Mm-hmm. And the media has been covering the lawsuit. And uh, Andrew Yang uh, I had a call with him a few days ago and he tweeted support and he didn't understand why we can operate under the same guidelines and Cuomo caved and he allowed us to reopen at 33% capacity now, which again, the numbers don't work, but it's better than zero. You know, Saturday Night Live, as you pointed out in your lawsuit, Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Fallon show, jazz dinner theaters, weddings, restaurants. Why not you? We didn't, they didn't tell us, which is really unfortunate because entertainment in New York is everything. I mean, that's why people from all around the world, young people move here, right? To be an actor, yeah. to be a comic, to be on Broadway, uh, musicians, there's great music clubs and comedy mm. clubs and there's off Broadway and not to give one explanation, not to mention it at a press conference in the past year when he's, when he wrote his book, Right. Yeah. Not to address why we can't be open, why he can't arrange a conference call with venue operators, just explaining the logic to them, I find is really unacceptable. He really dropped the ball there. And I, for the life of me, I don't get it. Well, the good news is he's provided uh, you guys with a lot of material uh, when you get back to work. Um, can I ask you a question on this cancel culture and the the you know the dr seuss thing and 
you know, if the family wants to pull a Dr. Seuss thing, fine. But now eBay is saying they're not going to they'll sell Mein Kampf, but they won't sell an old Dr. Seuss book. Is are people in the arts, uh, in especially comedy, Lenny Bruce would uh, you this? I think he would be apoplectic over what's going on it is are, are people starting to see in your business uh this isn't a good trend you know what it's, it's interesting most comics in in the country especially new york are are to the left and they're very liberal but they're very uh pro speech right. and uh they're they're very against uh this woke mob i'll call them mm-hmm. and uh they hate cancel culture which is which is cool you know like great. Lot, again a lot of comics are, are are liberal but they they hate it you know they which is refreshing to see yeah it is uh, they, they hate what's going on and it, i'm happy that you know we we book the sort of comics that where they can say whatever they want and and we don't censor them and like we again, like I'm I'm liberal. I live on the Upper West Side. Uh, we we hosted Roseanne Barr uh, a couple of years ago after you know that that whole Twitter thing. Yeah, like I'm, I'm happy to give comics uh, a platform to say whatever they want, and we've never censored them. And it's funny. I was I was having drinks with my friend Dan last night, and I was telling him like, there's some words that we used to say like in the '90s or 2000s that you can't say now, which I want, and I want to bring it back. <laughs> it was like funny saying, I can't, I don't want to say it now on the air. <laughs> but, like, aren't there some words like we used to grow up? I mean, you are, you're a little older than me. I'm 40. <laughs> um, there are some words where it, it sucks that we can't say them anymore because we're afraid uh, someone on Twitter is, is going to rage about it. George Carlin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. George exactly. Carlin uh, made a, a, a good living, and one of the you know one of the things that really propelled him were the seven dirty words that you just can't say. Uh, I want to say them. You got to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring it back. But yeah. Can I can I mention one thing, like how far it's it's become? Sure. Uh, we, so about a month ago, uh, we were approached by common health. They run urgent cares here in New York mm-hmm. and they saw what we're doing, trying to keep comedy going in New York and, um, you know, try to support comics and keep people laughing. And they approached me and they're like, you know, we want to offer your comic free healthcare visits and free COVID testing throughout August 31st, mm-hmm. right? Which like a really cool thing to do yep. and a comic i don't want to say i don't want to call him a comic a wannabe comic the guy's like really sucks um <laughs> tweeted now comedy club owners get to decide who's who gets health care or not which comics <sighs> are good enough to health care or not like we're giving free <sighs> health care to comics and he says, why should comedy owners get to decide who has health care or not? That's how far things have become. And it's, it's unbelievable. Well, we uh, I want you to know, I supported uh, Roseanne Barr when she was saying chop off the heads of uh, of uh, capitalists. 
and I supported Bill Maher after 9-11. I'm a free speech absolutist. I don't have to agree with you. I don't even have to like you. But we must protect free speech. And I'm also, New York's not a fan of me, but I'm a fan of New York. And uh, anything we can do to help you, the comedians or the comedy club, you reach out at any time. Thank you so I much. I'm a fan of you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Na, 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 na.